When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Manage Smarter Show is brought to you by SalesCred, the sales skill building solution that empowers sales teams worldwide to multiply sales opportunities by improving perception, accelerating trust building, and by earning repeat business. Get the best-selling book by C. Lee Smith, download the free mobile app, and now sign up for the SalesCred Masterclasses. Book your session now at salescred.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Today's show is really interesting. You are all in for a treat. We're going to talk about productivity, teamwork, and the confluence of that with music, right, Lee? That's going to be fascinating i cannot wait because it's like we're going to be talking a lot about songwriting we're going to be talking about uh jazz ensembles the bass uh all kinds of stuff and but also how it ties into presentations proposals uh and managing your team for maximum productivity yeah we can always use more productivity you won't get any complaints from me on that one uh welcome to manage smarter everyone my name is audrey strong i'm vice president of communications here at sales fuel and i'm celie smith i'm the ceo of sales fuel And our guest today, get ready to be inspired by a true powerhouse in the field of productivity intelligence. Our guest today, Gerald J. Leonard, a leading figure who has revolutionized the way we approach maximizing our potential. Gerald is the publishing editor, CEO, and founder of the Leonard Productivity Intelligence Institute, where he focuses on enhancing productivity and building better workplace cultures. Also, not that he isn't busy with all that, he's the CEO of Turnberry Premier, a strategic project portfolio management and IT governance firm in Washington, D.C., and he is a professional bassist. Started playing music at 10, I heard, Gerald, because I watched some of your videos. Uh Yeah. (laughs) Offering a unique approach to accomplishing more in the workplace. Welcome, Gerald. And uh, I know, Lee, you wanted to start off with the music analogy. I don't know. Well, before I do that, but holy smokes, Gerald, like you're like right brain (laughs) and left brain, aren't you? (laughs) Exactly. You got to use, you got to be ambidextrous. You got to use both. Exactly. (laughs) That's great. So you have a book that is references, you know, a symphony that the workplace is uh, like a symphony. And so you have to get everybody playing together. You want to talk a little bit about that? That that was my, that's my third book. And so Mm -hmm. all of my books have a musical reference because that's my, my home base. That's where I, you know, I've, I've known them most about life is, is from a musical perspective and it's really tailored everything about my life. And so A Symphony of Choices is a business novel that really teaches the power of mentorship in a way that's engaging. And it also teaches decision-making, executive decision-making, workplace engagement, and project manager, how to get a lot of things done when you don't have a lot of time. And you also have a lot of challenges in your life, whether it's personal or business relationships that you have to work around. This book really teaches you and shows you how to maneuver through all of that. And one of the key things is finding the right mentor. 
Oh, interesting. So who was your mentor? I have had tons. Uh, right now, my mentor is a gentleman named Dr. Paul Shilley. I've also worked with a lady named Dr. Bobby Stevens, who has two PhDs. I've worked with Mike Rayburn, who's one of the top 10 speakers. Uh, he also plays guitar and has, has performed at Carnegie Hall like 10 times. I have a ton of them. Uh, and honestly, it's something that I practice is that every every important area of my life, I want to make sure I have a mentor or a coach, whether they know they're mentoring me or not, <laughs> or whether I'm paying them to mentor me. And sometimes it's both. Who's asked you to mentor them? Say it again. Who has asked you to mentor them? Um, I get I get asked to men, be mentored by uh, to mentor others quite a bit. There's a couple of gentlemen over in uh, uh, over in Europe that I mentor. There's my companies that I mentor, the people that work for me, because I believe that mentoring is about modeling, and then sharing that and coaching people through the process so that they can grow along with you. But they need to see you leading the way. Right. They need to see you leading the way and modeling them. And then you coach them and encourage them. And hopefully by them being inspired by you, they're also challenged by you to also want to grow. So the mentor is analogous to what in a band? Well, um, <clears throat> I would say a mentor is analogous to, um, I would say, probably more senior level musicians. And here's what I mean. When you're playing music and when I was growing up, it's kind of like also having a professor or a teacher. But when you're in a band, you're going to kind of look to the guy who's been playing the longest. How is he going to carry himself? How does he practice? Does he does he come to the, the to the rehearsals really prepared? Is he really sharp about it? Also, is he giving? Is he, you know, figuring out how to make things easier for some of the other musicians in the band? And so so the mentor is really someone who has been leading the way in the band, whether they're the bass player, the drummer, it doesn't matter what instrument you play, it could be the singer, but it's the one who's been leading that way, but they're also, their arms are big enough to carry other people with them. Mm -hmm. What in, in, in teams in the workplace, can you give us some examples of other positions within a symphony and what those correspond to on a team? And then maybe some couple tangible tips on how to make it work better, more productivity. Okay. More harmonious. <laughs> 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 so when I think about a symphony, one of the obviously one of the key roles is the conductor, right? Mm -hmm. The conductor, you know, you don't when you when you watch a symphony, he's standing up front and he's kind of waving his arms, he's looking at people, he's kind of bringing them on in and, and kind of telling them to play soft here, play loud there. He's actually studied most of all of those instruments. And he's probably proficient, really proficient in one or two of them. But what he's really good at is interpreting the piece of music and then explaining that to the musicians and then allowing them to use their artistry to make the best um, to make the best decisions they can make along with playing the roles that they're playing with the symphony, whether it's the cellist, whether it's the violins, whether it's the drums or the timpani or the, you know, the, the flute, they're all playing their specific parts, but his role is to create that bigger picture and allow them to be the artists that they are and bring their best selves to the, to the, um, to the symphony and, and to play. So the worst conductor, conductor then would be the guy that is like telling all the musicians how to play their instruments. That's right. well, micromanagement. He's not, he's, no, he's not. No, no, he's not telling them how to play their instruments. Right. He's, he's he's basically helping them to express themselves when to come in and how how to play from the standpoint of 
how to play the music or how to express the music. He's not sitting there telling them, yeah. put your finger here, do that, because, because that's he would, allowing that would be, them to be the artist. That would be the worst kind of conductor, though. That's that, that's analogous to a micromanager in, on a business exactly. team, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's you know, at one time the, the management by walking around was the big topic, right? Yeah. Because you had to walk around, you want to make sure everybody's doing their job. Today, you know, and that, and if you think about the big resignation or the big uh, reassessment, is really what it was. People were reassessing their lives and what they wanted to pour their lives into. It's really about treating employees and people who are on your team as an artist or as a musician or as someone who who's uh, uh, serious about their craft because they're going to spend time studying that craft whether it's being a, a business analyst or a developer or a designer they're going to spend that time becoming the best that they can be and you also want to get them engaged by ha allowing them to help create the final product because people buy into what they create if they have no voice in creating it they will not buy into it. So you won't get their head, their heart, or their hands fully to help you uh, create this amazing experience that you're trying to create. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Lee. Oh, so I was also wondering then too. So wait, well, actually, before we get into that, let's finish the thought then on the uh, on the band and the workplace. So we touched on the conductor. We you know, had some nice discussion about that. What are some of the other players uh, that that kind of relate to each other in business and in music. Well, you know, what's interesting about business and music, and here's how I was able to kind of put that together. Um, when I got into, um, let's say, IT and project management, I was also still playing as a professional musician, and I've done both throughout my career. And I would go to rehearsals, and let's say I'm going to a show, and I've never met the musicians before. After two rehearsals, we're best buds. We are emotionally connected. We've been playing. We're looking at each other. We can figure out what's going on. We can speak without speaking because we're using our nonverbal communication. And what I found is that when I was a part of a consulting engagement and had met the folks before, walked into the room and everyone was an expert at what they were doing. And we were all focused on the big picture, like we're doing a performance. We started, it was the same experience of connecting with each other whether it was the developer or whether it was the business analyst, me as the project manager, the, the business sponsor, we all got on the same page. And there was this emotional connection that, that combined us, that helped us to, to connect together. And it was like playing jazz. It was like playing music. And the best teams are like little jazz ensembles. Mm -hmm. We have um, two all-employee meetings in person a year. And Everybody reports out and if we integrate everybody together where the whole the whole band is in, in our conference room. Is that yes. something as a best practice you would suggest that everyone do? Because when when we do it, I just come back. I'm energized. I so appreciate all the things my coworkers are doing that literally I don't even know how they do it. Right. That, right. right. Exactly. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be just something that you do twice a year. It can be done. It can be something. And here's why this works. It can be something that can be done virtually if you know how mm -hmm. to do it. And because, you know, from a neuroscience standpoint, when we have a positive reaction or we having a positive communication, everyone's brain begins to secrete dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, all these positive neurochemicals. These are bonding. These are connecting uh, neurochemicals. So whether you're on Zoom or on Teams or some other platform, or you're face-to-face. -face. Now, obviously, being face-to-face -face now, 
we can hug each other. We can smile. Mm-hmm. We can right. shake each other's hands. You can we feel get all the energy other... in the room. You, and exactly. During our, you can... Yeah. During our all hands meetings every month on Zoom, not quite the same. Yeah, it's not it's not always mm-hmm. the same there, but you can create positive connections just as much on on the virtual environment. Again, by knowing the language, the body movement, the smiling, and 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 so on. That if you can get everyone engaged from that standpoint, you can create some amazing connections as well. But face to face, those big meetings like that, they are the catalyst for moving things forward in a major way. I've got a theory I want to test out on you. And if I'm all wet, please go ahead and say so politely. <laughs> but I have this theory that songwriting is analogous to uh, creating a or crafting a presentation or proposal. And so I, you know, you start off with the intro. You got to have something that makes them, that grabs their attention right out of yep. the gate. You know, then you got to have the verse, you know, because we're starting to get into some of the content now. The okay. course is the thing that you're going to repeat over and over again, uh, as what I'm thinking that you got to have a bridge when you're when you're shifting from topic to, to, to topic in your proposal. Uh, what I'm missing here is the hook. I mean, how do you create a great hook? And, and when you're given a presentation or something like that, that just gets stuck in somebody's head, you know, that, uh, you know, that really makes your whole presentation worthwhile. I think a great hook, like a like a, a hook in a song or a hook in a jazz uh, piece, is something that you give people that's a visual. So one of my hooks that I that I talk about when I when I'm doing what I'm doing right now, we're having this conversation to get a create a visual in people's mind about mentorship. I say mentorship is like being in the HOV lane. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. All right. Mentorship yeah. is like so. So you just got a picture in your mind of <laughs> all the cars flying by with two or three people in them, and you're stuck in traffic. Now think about life and think about your career. Think about business. If you're by yourself and you don't have a good coach, you don't have a good mentor, you don't have a good sponsor, somebody who's there with you and guiding you through that process, you're working hard but going nowhere. You're pushing on the gas. You're pushing on the brakes. There's a lot of traffic. It's hot. Do I have enough gas? Is it, am I going to make it? Am I going to miss the kids? Oh my goodness! I got to pick this one up. And but if you're in the HOV lane, you got company. You put the car. You put the the car on 60, 65. Put it on cruise control because there's hardly anybody out there yeah. on that on on the HOV lane. You got company, and you're sailing by, and it's like it's so hard to get ahead. No, it's not. You're just in the wrong lane. So by getting a mentor or coach, you can you can actually put yourself in the HOV lane of your career or your personal life, depends on what you get coached on. That's a good hook. I like that. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Back on the productivity issue, what sure. are some other tangible ways to get people to be more productive? Uh, do you set tighter deadlines? Are you not, not micromanaging, Lee? I didn't say micromanage, but... I mean, what what are the ways to get people to move a little quicker? I would be very curious to hear what your take is on that. Up tempo. Okay. <laughs> up, up, okay. So a lot of people think that getting things done is going faster, going longer, going harder. Mm-hmm. And I would say that is wrong. And here's what I mean. <clears throat> 2018, I had a major bout with vertigo, lost the ability to walk. Ugh. Happened six weeks before my TEDx talk. I had to, my talk was about what if practices performance, the neuroscience of music. So I had to go back and reference everything I had learned about neuroscience. 
And playing music activated my brain and allowed me to be able to get back to where I can walk three weeks later. And three three weeks after that, I was walking on stage. Since then, I've been the most productive I've ever been. I take naps. I do yoga. I take breaks. Here's what I had to learn to do. I had to learn to focus on being productivity smart or intelligent. One, I had to realize that it's not about managing my schedule and packing my schedule. It's about managing my priorities. Schedule your priorities. Eat the ugly frog first. Do the big scary thing first. And even if you only have one or two things on your schedule, make sure that they're the things that are going to move the ball forward. As a CEO of two companies, I can only work on things that are going to move my company forward, mm -hmm. period. I can't waste time doing things that are not going to move the company forward. So every task on my to-do list is going to move the ball forward in one way or the other. Every dollar I invest back in my business has to move the ball forward one way or the other. But I also know that my conscious mind has limited capacity compared to my non-conscious mind. So I, so again, lear learning about neuroscience, one of my mentors, Dr. Paul Shealy, who's an expert in, in, um, in neuroscience and, and uh, accelerated learning and photo reading and the conscious and non-conscious mind, he taught me this example. He says, put your feet together and draw a circle around your feet. That's the capacity and size of your conscious mind. We only take in about 7% of what we hear, see, and are around. Put a dot in the middle of your feet and go out 11 miles from where you are and draw a big circle 11 miles around. That's the size of your non-conscious mind. That's the, that's the part of our mind that runs our heartbeat, that runs our respiratory system. Mm -hmm. We don't think about breathing. We don't think about our heart beating, but it happens. So that's the non-conscious part. We can gain access to that if we know how to ask it the right questions. It's like going to the bank, you know? How do I get money out of my bank? I have to make sure I fill out a deposit slip or, or withdrawal slip. And I got to also make sure I have money in the bank. So how do I get my non-conscious mind to cooperate with me? I have to, one, give it time by asking it the right questions and then give it time to work on it. So I do. And, and also being in someone who's uh, intuitive. So to, and, and that's not something that you have as a gift. That's something that all of us have. But here's the thing. We it's hard to do that if you're under stress all the time. And when we, the best way I can think of how why I started doing yoga is that every day stress is like filling up a, a rag with a lot of water. So when you come out of the shower, what's the first thing you do? You squeeze it and wring it out so that it's dry, right? Well, that's what needs to happen to our bodies. By doing yoga in the morning, I'm squeezing the stress removing that stress. So now I'm able to sit and have some time to meditate. And I start hearing, here, you should be doing this. You should be doing that. You should be focusing on this. So then I prioritize and I practice something else called Pomodoros. Pomodoros mm -hmm. is using a 25-minute like 25 clock. And I'll say, okay, for 25 minutes, I'm going to work on this particular task. And that's the only thing I'm going to work on. Cut off any distractions, social media, email, mm -hmm. focus on that, get it done take a break. Or if I have a major problem I'm trying to solve, I'll ask myself the question, I'll write out the question, then I'll put it away and go do something totally different, maybe for even a day or two. And then I'll come back and go, okay, what you got for me? And I'm asking my brain, what do you have? Because I've given my brain time to work on it. So a lot of it is not just working harder, 
or burning the clock on both ends or burning, you know, burning the candle on both ends. It's really learning to work smarter, uh, asking the right questions, really understanding the neuroscience of our brains. And again, because I still have the impact of the vestibular imbalance that I had. So I, I have to, so it depends on my day. I may have to bake a nap in the middle of my day so I can make it to the end of my day. I also learned something about brain gyms, how bo small body movements reactivate your brains. I learned something about Qigong, how our bodies generate energy. So by learning all these things, it's amazing what you can do. And it's not just about working harder. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, I just want to ask one last question before, <laughs> before we wrap it up. I mean, this is fantastic. I mean, uh, really some, some good insight here and uh, very helpful to our audience. I much appreciate it. Uh, we're going to form the Manage Smarter All-Star Band. I mean, we started off, but we had we had a professional drummer on the show. We asked him, who's the greatest drummer of all time? Then we had a harmonica player. We asked him, who's the, who's yeah, the greatest harmonica, harmonica player yeah. of all time? So Ooh. I have to ask you, who's the greatest bassist of all time? <laughs> oh, that's a hard one. There's so many great guys. I would have to say Ron Carter. Uh, as an upright classical uh, uh, bassist, oh, okay. um, Ron Carter, because he's done so many recordings, he still teaches, he's still playing, he's still performing, and so many of us as bass players have listened to him, studied his style, and uh, and he's still a legend uh, to this day. I don't think anybody would dispute that. Ron Carter. Ron Carter. So coming from somebody who's not a player, but just a listener, uh, mine's Getty Lee. <laughs> okay. So, so Getty Lee is bass. Uh, yeah. electric bass for for Rush, the rock band Rush. Okay, Although, okay, yeah, no, he's really, he's really, I, I really like him as well. He's really, really good. And in my, my my honorable mention, I'm from Ohio, so I have to do a shout out for Bootsy Collins. He's been dying to ask you this all day, <laughs> I Gerald. Bootsy I Collins. swear. Yeah, <laughs> I've been excited. About I, I imitated, I, I imitated and played a lot of Bootsy Collins when I was growing up, and I still <laughs> listen to Bootsy. He 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 influenced. The 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 rock uh, I would say rock and R and B and the funk yeah. style. Okay. Uh, yes, he's definitely a legend when it comes to that because you know he started off playing with James Brown. Mm -hmm. He had his own Amazing. band before, and then he joined James mm -hmm. Brown, and that's when after that he took off um, and, and just became a. You know, I've got another baby. friend that who uh, you know was a musician or musician, and then he played with James Brown, and James Brown was coaching him. You know, just to. You know, to uh, that he was being too calculated and too methodical, and he just kind of needed to let the funk out, you know. And then exactly, he's never been the same <laughs> musician since, you know. So it's like that that guy had had impact on people that I mean, beyond what everybody knows about him. So, it's but like, if you think about it, that's what a great that's what a great mentor does. Perfect, right? That's what yes. a great mentor. They, they they impact you to the point where you cannot go back and do the same that you did because it, it literally once you experience something like that it changes your brain. It changes your mm -hmm. neurochemistry. Mm -hmm. So you can't go back and do what you were doing before because now you know too much. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if you want to know more about Gerald and his business, productivityintelligenceinstitute.com. And um, we got just about 30 seconds left. You've got some freebies that you're giving out. Give us the URL I, for those. It's the productivityintelligenceinstitute.com forward slash manage smarter. And Sounds that's good. What will I find there? There you're going to find an image of the show. You're also going to find two freebies. Uh, uh, one's a weekly uh, evaluation worksheet. And the other one is a handbook for my new book. That's a freebie. 
And also, if you want to set up a call with me and do a discovery and ha have a conversation, I have a link on there for that, as well as you can connect with me on LinkedIn and you can find out more information about my book, A Symphony of Choices. Sounds great. Thank you for your time. This has been so really interesting, Gerald. Yeah. We were looking forward to this and you did not disappoint, sir. <laughs> I'm so happy. Thank you so much, Audrey and Lee, for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>